Great, okay, Book of Isaiah, massive book. Uh, can be a little bit intimidating to read. I'm going to break it down into seven parts today we're thinking about. God of the nations. Uh, when you look around the world at the moment, there's a lot of obvious political turmoil in the world around us. Uh, think about things in the news this week, think about what's happening in Mosul even today as uh, the Iraqi army goes in trying to get rid of IS once and for all. Think about what's happening in Aleppo and the terrible suffering in that city. Think about the Russian Navy coming down the English Channel, making everybody panic in the British Navy trying to escort them along. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, just a week before this one, I was, I was out in Turkey. And think about the significance of that nation. I think about President Erdogan, who's the leader of that nation, and to some he's a hero, and to others he's a villain. And to some of the Turkish people, he's a great hero, fighting for Turkish prestige. For other people, he's seen as a, a dangerous man. Uh, think about other people in the news, particularly in the news at the moment, of course, of the presidential election are Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. Uh, just before being in Turkey, I was away in the States, and so my friends out there are very uh, perplexed. Um, disappointed, uh, upset, you can start to choose your adjective about how they feel about the whole thing. Uh, most of them saying they're probably going to write a third candidate party onto the, onto the ballot papers, think, what, what, is, what is going on? How have we got to, to this place? And, and we look around the world and we can see all kinds of political turmoil and chaos. And it can leave us feeling a bit unsettled. We can watch the news and feel unsettled about world events. What's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen to the world? What's going to happen to us? What's, what's going to happen to me? Can be the question that we ask. Will things be okay? Will I be okay? Now the section of Isaiah that we're going to look at today speaks directly to these kind of issues. And we're taking out a block of scripture. It's Isaiah 13 through to Isaiah chapter 23, a big chunk of scripture. And if you try reading through the book of Isaiah, which I really encourage you to do, especially as we're doing this series, take the time to read it through, uh, you'll probably get to chapter 13, and that's where you start to get stuck. Uh, the chapter's up to there. There's a lot you can engage in fairly easily, a lot which uh, kind of makes immediate sense. Uh, you get to chapter 13 through to 23, and suddenly it gets a little bit hard going, because it introduces a, a series of what it calls oracles, and it, each section begins an oracle concerning. And there's these different nations which are spoken about, Babylon and Assyria and Philistia and Moab and Cush. And we can think, well, these are ancient kingdoms about which we know very little and which might seem to have very little relevance for us. But I believe there is spiritual food for us in these chapters of Isaiah as these oracles about the nations are brought. And it's really the big point of what I want to say this morning as we think about God being God of the nations. The big point is this, that God sees all things and the fates of the nations are in his hands. God sees all things and the fate of the nations are in his hand. And uh, in that there's both the comfort and a challenge. The, the comfort is if you put your trust in God, you come to this place where you say, well, God sees. God knows what's going on. God understands. Uh, everything will be brought to light that needs to be. And actually, thinking about current events, uh, if we understand what Isaiah says, it helps us to have a longer perspective. That actually, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And while a, a Russian aircraft carrier might be coming down the English Channel, and while Aleppo and Mosul have been bombarded, and while there's crazy politics in America, actually, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. Um, I just was reading yesterday that uh, back in 1804, the US Vice President 
shot and killed the Secretary of the Treasury in a duel. And I think it's been pretty bad with, with Trump and Clinton, but they haven't yet had a duel and shot each other. I mean, probably we pay to watch that, it might be quite entertaining, but as if there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, and Isaiah helps us to have that kind of perspective. There's, there's, we find comfort here. God is God of the nations. There's also a challenge. The challenge is, will we trust God? And will we look at current events with Isaiah-like eyes? Now, I'm going to take a bit of a risk this morning that I'm going to cover the whole of chapters 13 to 23. I could have just picked out a couple of verses and focused on them, but we're, we're talking about this series as kind of an eagle swoop over the mountain range of the prophecy of Isaiah. So I want to cover the whole uh, chunk of Isaiah 13 to 23 and uh, see what God says to us through these oracles. But we're going to start just at the end of chapter 12. The end of chapter 12 finishes with this amazing declaration of hope. It says this, Give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted, sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Yes, yes, yes. Rescue is coming. God is going to save his people. God's going to rescue Israel and all the nations of the world. Isaiah chapter 12 finishes on this pinnacle, this declaration of hope in a God who is active in the nations and will rescue his people. But before that happens, we get to these oracles, these words, these prophecies about the nations. And uh, the thing about these, these oracles is they, they were spoken for the benefit of the people of Israel, those who Isaiah was addressing. Uh, they were spoken so the people of Israel might have a, a picture of what God is doing in the nations. And they're spoken for our benefits too. And so let's look at these oracles against the nations and see what they can teach us. The first thing these oracles tell us is they warn us against arrogance. Now, I've got a little map there of how the region that we're looking at looked at this time. Uh, Isaiah is in the kingdom of Judah, that green blob in the middle. The, the nation of Israel is itself being split. There's a, the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. And then they're surrounded by these other nations. And the first of the oracles comes against Babylon, which is further off to the east. Uh, kind of where Iraq is now, beyond where it says Nabatu tribes, uh, off to the side of the map. And Babylon at this time wasn't yet a major player, it wasn't a significant power, but it would soon become the most significant political power in the region and would become enemy number one of the people of Israel. And the thing about Babylon is not only the, the power that it achieved as an empire, but also what it represents historically. The Bible tells a story about a place called Babel where human beings gather together to kind of celebrate the superiority, the, the magnificence of the human race. And God comes down and scatters the people of Babel because of their arrogance against him. And, and uh, Babylon is Babel and has this history of defiance against God. But God speaks to Isaiah and says, Babylon will fall. Isaiah chapter 14 says this, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, how you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reach of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. 
but you are brought down. Isaiah sees how Babylon is asserting itself arrogantly, but sees that Babylon will fall. Babylon is like the morning star. This is uh, probably Venus, the planet Venus, which can appear on the horizon as a bright star in the morning, but as soon as the sun comes up, it's completely eclipsed. And the Mount of Assembly, which Isaiah speaks about here, is probably Mount Zaphon, where it was believed the Canaanite peoples believed that the Canaanite gods gathered in that place, and that's where the gods were. And so the pictures of, of Babylon seeing herself as this kind of godlike entity. And what Isaiah sees is that those, those who want to make themselves like God, actually they're going to be cast down, they're going to be brought low. All rulers and presidents and dictators who think they can ascend beyond the clouds, they're going to be brought down. And the thing about human rulers is they too tend to get very arrogant. And of course, at the moment, Donald Trump's a kind of parody of this. I've had a couple of Donald Trump quotes. The beauty of me is that I am very rich. <laughs> well, how about this one? I fully think apologizing is a great thing, but you have to be wrong. I will absolutely apologize sometime in the hopefully distant future if I am ever wrong. It's the kind of arrogance that Isaiah is seeing in Babylon. It's kind of a Babylonian, it's a Babel-like arrogance. And it will be brought low. In the end, the arrogant are felt. And there's comfort here then for those who are oppressed. There's comfort for those who are oppressed by the arrogant, by Babylon. That Babylon will fall. There's also a, a warning to us personally, for us personally not to seek to set ourselves above gods, to not get too impressed by human might and not ourselves to think that we can ascend beyond the clouds because God will bring the arrogant low. Second thing these oracles teach us is they urge us to trust God. Next up in the list of nations is Assyria. And uh, Assyria, up there on the north of the map, Assyria was the number one nation in this region at the time, and they were a, a brutally cruel people. They were notoriously, famously, infamously cruel. And Isaiah sees that the cruel Assyrians themselves will be trampled. And then there's Philistia, the Philistines, the Philistine city-states, who are Israel's ancient enemy. And at this time, the, the, the Philistines were trying to manoeuvre in a victory, trying to get a fight uh, over the Assyrians with the help of Egypt, and were hoping that together with the Egyptians and the Cushites, they might overcome the strength of Assyria. But Isaiah sees that this is just going to come back and bite them. And then there's Moab, a nation just there to the east of Judah, who joined the Philistines against the Assyrians. But Isaiah sees that this will end in disaster. What's going to happen is that refugees are going to come and seek refuge from Moab in Judah because they are militarily defeated. Now, when David, Israel's greatest ever king, was, was king, Moab was part of, kind of greater Israel, was part of David's empire. And now the people of Moab, as I see, are going to seek refuge in Judah, in David's own country. And there's a sign here, there's a sign here that the only hope for the nations is in the God of David, in Israel's God. And Isaiah gives us a picture of what this God is like. Chapter 16, verse 5, he says, A throne will be established in steadfast love 
And on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. There's a king who's coming who is going to judge righteously and make all things right. And Isaiah speaks this to the people of Israel. He says, look, Israel, you need to come to the true God. You need to remember him. You need to trust in him. But it's the same for all the nations. The hope of the nations is found in God's. Refugees will come from Moab to Judah because they will look for refuge in the place where God is. Now, we live in an age of refugees. Millions of people on the move around the world. People seeking safety and prosperity and freedom. And that is a hugely complex issue. The, the politics of migration and refugees is massively controversial, massively complex, extraordinarily diff- difficult. What Isaiah sees is a king reigning who will reign in perfect justice, who sees through all the issues, cuts through all the confusion. And Isaiah says, look to this king, look to this one who is coming, who will rule in justice and righteousness. And there's something of a challenge here for those of us, those of us who feel secure, those of us who aren't refugees, aren't threatened by having to become refugees, aren't tempted to become economic migrants and look for a better life elsewhere. There's, there's a, a warning to us here as well. Who do we trust? Who do we trust? And this oracle would say, let us too trust in the real, in the living God. Third thing is that these oracles remind us to keep looking to God. Next up in the list of nations described is Damascus, up at the, the top of uh, the map up there, in what we call Syria today. And of course, today, Right now, Damascus is under siege, a scene of terrible civil war. And 2,800 years ago, when Isaiah prophesied Damascus was under siege, history repeats itself, uh, Damascus has been there before. And the point that Isaiah makes about Damascus is that she has forgotten who the true God is. And her worship of other gods is what is her undoing. He says this about Damascus. You have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, though you plant pleasant plants, yet the harvest will flee away in a day of grief and incurable pain. Damascus was suffering from the human disease. The human disease that we think we can do things our way. We forget that God is the God of our Salvation, And it was the arrogance of Damascus that led to her destruction at this time. And if we forget God, it can lead to our destruction as well. And the things we tend to, we most like to forget God when things are going well. If things are going badly, that can be the moment when we turn to God and remember him and call out to him for his help. When life's going well, we think, I can do this. I can make life work. It works all right. And it's exactly at that moment when we can find ourselves caught out, just as Damascus was. Uh, it's a bit like uh, physical health. I was thinking about this this morning as I was preparing. I think a couple of years ago, I, I injured my Achilles tendon, and I liked to run, and then I couldn't run for three months. And once I'd injured my, my Achilles, I became very conscious of all the things I should be doing to strengthen my Achilles. But of course, the point is, it would be much better to have been doing all those Achilles exercises before I ever injured it in order to prevent the injury. But when you're not injured, you don't think about the injury. It's only when it happens, you think, oh, I'm in trouble. 
And life is too often like that. It's the moment of disaster that we say, oh, God, help me. But actually it's when things are going well and we're tempted to lean on our own strength. It's in those moments we need to remember God and look to Him. In the time of disaster, yes, we call out to God, but don't wait for disaster to happen in order to draw you to God. Remember God. Don't be like the people of Damascus. The fourth thing these oracles do is assure us that God will gather his people. Next up in the list of nations spoken about are Cush and Egypt. Cush is what we now think of as Ethiopia and Sudan, an area way down off the bottom of the map. And uh, they were in alliance with Egypt. And Egypt was the great ancient empire, an extraordinary place for 3,000 years. The Egyptian civilization existed. It makes what we think of as our long British history look puny in comparison. 3,000 years the, the Egyptian empire existed and persisted and was significant politically and militarily in that region. But at the time that Isaiah is speaking, in the 8th century BC, Egypt is locked in this kind of mortal death struggle with the empire of the Assyrians. And uh, Isaiah, as he looks at this situation where the, the whole region, as it is now, is caught up in turmoil, caught up in conflict, caught up in war, where Assyria and her allies are fighting against the Egyptians and the Kushites and the Moabites and the, and the Philistines, where they're manoeuvring against one another and there's danger and there's risk and there's uh, battle and bloodshed and refugees and heartache and sorrow. Isaiah looks and sees what seems to be utterly impossible what seems to be impossible historically speaking and what seems to be impossible politically speaking. But Isaiah sees the day when Egypt and Assyria, these two mortal enemies, will join together with the people of Israel in worship of God. When we look at, the, when we look at this region as it now is, we might think, well, it's impossible for peace to come to this region. There's just too much complexity. There's too much bad blood, there's too much history, there's too much politics, there's too much ethnic and religious strife. It's just impossible for this part of the world ever to be sorted out. How can that happen? Prophet Isaiah sees something different. What Isaiah sees is that no matter how long an empire stands, it will fall. Egypt lasted for 3,000 years, but the day came when it ceased to function as a political, as a military Force. And no matter how long wars rage, they will in the end end. And God will rescue his people. And in the midst of all these oracles against the nations, there's this amazing promise of what God will do. Chapter 19, verse 24. In that day, Israel will be the third with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Egypt and Assyria and Israel, mortal enemies, coming together in the knowledge and worship of God. That's what Isaiah sees over two and a half thousand years ago. It's what God reveals to him, and it's for that which we hope, and it's this which God intends. And it's actually this for which the, the church is called to, to labour. And it's also what we're called to model in, in an act in some way, that 
in the church, people of different nations, different backgrounds, different politics, different histories, different empires, come together and find unity of worship before God. That in the church of Jesus Christ, there's to be a demonstrated working out of what the prophet Isaiah says. That we're joined together, different people, different backgrounds, we're brought together by the love of Christ at work in our hearts. And that's to speak to the world about the peace that God can bring. And so as a church, we're also called to labour for that, to work for it, to be peacemakers, to be those who seek to bring reconciliation where there's conflict, who work ourselves at receiving uh, the forgiveness and the peace of God and living in that way towards one another, of, of, of demonstrating the reality of Christ's rule in our hearts and in the world. God is going to rescue his people. Even Egypt and Assyria and Israel will come together. That is God's plan and God's intent. The fifth thing we see in these oracles is they reveal just how exposed we are without God. Chapters 13 to 19 of Isaiah is oracle upon oracle against the nations and then suddenly you get to Isaiah 20 and a very strange account of what God calls Isaiah to do. Let's read it. It says this. In the year that the commander-in-chief, who was sent by Sargon, the king of Assyria, came to Ashdod and fought against it and captured it, at that time the Lord spoke by Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and lose the sackcloth from your waist and take off your sandals from your feet. And he did so, walking naked and barefoot. The context of this is there's this Egyptian-backed Philistine revolt against the empire of the Assyrians. And uh, this revolt goes on for three years. And for the three years of this revolt, Isaiah walks stripped naked. Now, we think probably what that meant was that he was barefoot, he had no outer clothes on, and as it says in the passage, his backside was exposed. Sometimes being a prophet is costly. Often people will say, I want to be more prophetic. I'd love to be called by God to be a prophet. It's not always such a great gig. It means walking around with your backside hanging out, barefoot, exposed. It's a strange story, but what it did was to visually demonstrate what was happening in the nations. It's a sign of disgrace. This is the point that when the Assyrians, after the three years, defeated the, the, the Philistines, when Sargon came and conquered Ashdod, this is how they would have taken the captive peoples into captivity. They would have stripped them, taken off their shoes, taken off their outer garments, exposed their buttocks, wore them in disgrace. This is the point. It's a public shame which is brought upon the enemies. And Isaiah demonstrates this. He says, this is what's going to happen. And the point... The reason he does this is it's to say to the people of Israel, don't put your trust in Egypt. If you put your trust in Kush, if you put your trust in Egypt, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be publicly humiliated. You're going to be disgraced. You're going to be exposed. Don't do it. Don't put your trust in these powers. And there's a question for us there. What, what is your Kush? What is your Egypt? What is the, what is the thing that you put your trust in? What is the power that you trust in? And of course this also points to the 
ministry of Christ Jesus. But Jesus was hung on a cross and he was exposed. He was hung naked on a cross. It was a, a sign of shame. It was a sign of disgrace. Christ himself was publicly humiliated in the way that Isaiah was. And Christ did that in order that we might be covered over by God. Christ was shamed in our place that we might know the honour of God. We might be clothed by him. And the point of the oracle for us is that if we trust anything else, end of the day it's going to leave us naked. It's going to leave us exposed. And this point is underlined with the last of the oracles against the nations. That the oracles remind us not to trust in wealth. The last nation to be mentioned in the oracles is Tyre. Uh, this section begins with the, the nation of Babylon. Babylon was famous for its cultural achievements and for its military mights. Uh, Tyre was famous for its commercial wealth. Uh, up, up there, the, uh, uh, up at the top in the blue part, the, the Phoenician states dominated by Tyre. These were a trading people. They were famously successful in business. They were famously rich. But just as Babylon will fall, Isaiah sees that Tyre also will fall, but her wealth won't save her. The oracles end with this declaration, 23.18. Her merchandise and her wages will be holy to the Lord. It will not be stored or hoarded, but her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. What Isaiah sees is the wealth of Tyre is going to be taken away from her and will be given to the people of God. What the, what the nations do, Isaiah says, is that the nations prostitute themselves in the pursuit of wealth. But the people of God are to live differently. We're to see that wealth comes as the gift of God. And what we're to seek after is God's righteousness. And as we seek after God's righteousness, he will provide for us what we need. And a, a prophetic people, Isaiah-like people, see this. They see the provision of God, that God gives to us what we need. I uh, was with a friend last week when I was out in Turkey. Uh, some of you know him, Gregor Martin Dunsford. He leads a church in Southampton. And uh, he told this amazing story about Viking gods. The first part of the story I'd actually heard him tell earlier in the year, and then there's a second part I heard just a week or so ago. So they've had a huge building project, millions and millions of pounds to build this amazing building in, in Hedgehead outside Southampton. And uh, they were having a, a gift day to raise more money to pay for it. And uh, the guy in the church comes up to Martin and says, Martin, I really want to give. I've got nothing to give. But this guy is a, is a metal detector enthusiast. And so Martin gets hold of him and prays for him. So prays, pray that you'll find something of value which you can then put into the offering. The guy goes off and he's driving down the road and he sees a shaft of sunlight out of the clouds, you know how sometimes it happens, illuminating a patch of field. You go, I'll go and check there. He gets this metal detector out of the car, goes and checks, beep, 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 and he finds a ring, and it's a Viking gold ring. And it's worth tens of thousands of pounds. Now, apparently, if you find something on a field, half of the value goes to the owner of the land, and you keep half. So he kept half, and he gave it all to the offering. Amazing. <laughs> Heard this story back in April. Viking gold, extraordinary. God prepares the wealth of the nations for his people. Wealth from hundreds of years ago, actually. God, when that ring was made, God had a plan that one day it would be used for his glory to be put into this building front of a church in Southampton. Absolutely extraordinary. Second part of the story, another gift day just recently, 
The guy comes up to Martin and says, Martin, I really want to put some money in the offering, but I've got no money. Martin says, well, let me pray for you. So he prays for him again. I pray that you'll find something. He goes out, and this sounds really weird. He goes out and he sees a rainbow. And where do you think where the rainbow is hitting the ground? Copper bell at the end of the rainbow. He gets his metal detector out of his car, goes into the field, he searches, beep, 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 beep. And this time he finds a Viking bracelet, which weighs a hundred times more than the ring. <laughs> Hasn't been valued yet. The ring is worth tens of thousands, so who knows what the bracelet is going to be worth. It's a strange story. It's a kind of a miracle story. It's a great story. But this is what Isaiah sees. That the nations prostitute themselves in the pursuit of wealth. But it can't save them. But God will take the wealth of the nations. She will not be stored or hoarded. Her merchandise will supply abundant food and fine clothing for those who dwell before the Lord. It's not put our trust in wealth. Let's trust God who can provide Oracles about Babylon and Assyria and Philistia and Moab and Cush. They're empires which are long gone, but they still speak to us today. As we think about things in Britain, as we think about Russia, as we think about the States, as we think about Turkey and Iraq and Syria, what Isaiah saw 2,800 years ago still speaks to us now. It speaks to us of human arrogance and false hopes that we have and misplaced desires and the, and the fears that we have. The human experience now is the same as it's always been. And what we need to do is put our hope in the God of the nations. When we turn to Jesus, we see one who was king but came as a servant. We see Jesus who walked humbly amongst us, not arrogantly like the Babylonians. One who came as a servant to bless his people. We see one who was exposed so that we might be covered. Isaiah, the prophet, the prophetic burden for three years, being publicly shamed before the people as a sign to them of how they were to live, where they were to put their trust. Jesus, shamed in our place that we might be covered by the righteousness of God. And we see the one who was conquered. But Jesus did conquer. He triumphed over human arrogance. He triumphed over human folly. He's triumphed over human sin. And in our troubles, chaotic worlds, we need to put our trust in him. Not to be like those nations. Not to be like Babylon. Not to be like Assyria. Not to be like Egypt. Not to be like the Philistines. Not to be like Cush. But to be the people of God who trust in the one who is serving the king, 